Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. And Connor, we're into February now. We're getting close to the best month of the year, the best time of the year. February is a lot of fun. A lot of, it's a, a moving month, so to speak, for a lot of teams who either solidify their NCAA tournament resumes, get on the bubble, fall off the bubble. It's really exciting to, to watch teams coming down the stretch here. But we also have a pretty good idea of the teams sort of at the top of the sport. Uh, I think there's a group that has maybe not separated themselves totally, but at least from a resume standpoint, has absolutely solidified their place as being one seeds or two seeds. Uh, Some of the better teams, teams to beat, so to speak, this season. So looking ahead, this is obviously going to change before Selection Sunday, but we thought it would be a good idea to go through teams that are in contention for the top seeds, uh, projected top five seeds according to bracketmatrix.com and go through whether they're contenders or pretenders. Uh, Connor, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this last month. Um, I mean, outside of the Mountain West and, and the WCC for obvious reasons, there's not really a con- – and, and you could say, um, what is it, Bowling Green in the, in the Mid-American. There's not really a conference out there that has that clearly defined, you know – if they stay the course, they win the conference team um, outside of those three teams right now. And so this last month uh, could shake things up at the top of the conferences um, and could, you know, add some teams to these to the list we're about to talk uh, about and take some teams away. Um, but I think right now we've got a pretty good idea about what teams are going to be true contenders for the national championship or, or at least obvious contenders for the national championship. Um, but that's just my two cents. I mean, every conference right now is there's, you know, one, one, maybe two games separating the, the conference leader from the rest of the conference, which I think is a beautiful thing uh, to have happen this year. Absolutely. I think the big 12 is probably going to be the most intense race coming down the stretch because of how good Kansas and Baylor are plus the team like West Virginia getting in the mix and potentially playing spoiler for one of those two. But I wanted to start there because Kansas and Baylor are the top two overall seeds, according to the bracket matrix. Kansas is actually the number one overall seed, and Baylor is at number two. Uh, again, both on the one line, but just in terms of overall seeding. Both of them are obvious contenders to me. Uh, Baylor hasn't lost since early November. Uh, their guard play has been tremendous, and they're experienced. Freddie Gillespie gives them a lot inside from a protection and rebounding standpoint. Uh, Kansas, their three losses have really all come when they've been shorthanded. Uh, they haven't looked to me like a, a dominant team when healthy, but with Devin Donson and Udoka Azubuke and the role players that they have fitting in, I think, perfectly together, uh, they're certainly in contention as well. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily pick them, but I, they're certainly uh, as good of a contender as you could p- probably have this year. Yeah, no, I and if if I were to come out and say the team that I think has the the talent to to really be that number one favorite for uh, the national championship, it would probably have to be Kansas. I I don't think they as one dimensional as Azubuke can be at times, and and some of their health issues and other disciplinary issues that have happened throughout the course of the season. Um, I, I don't think that they have really many holes. They obviously have two um, 
at least NBA caliber talents. Now, if Azubuki fits into the NBA center role is, is a different question, but there's no doubt that his talent is there. And I think between the two of them, if they if they split their two supposed meetings, you know, obviously anything can happen in the Big 12 tournament. Um, but if if Baylor wins at home and then Kansas goes on to win the Big 12 tournament, it could come down to their their matchups, their upcoming matchups against West Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. Both of them play West Virginia on the road, and then Baylor has a home uh, matchup against West Virginia uh, on the 15th. And really, at the end of the day, if they split those two games if, if um, and win out against West Virginia, it's going to be a really tough decision to determine who gets the, uh, the region preference um, as a one seed. Because I think, assuming there's no bad losses down the stretch, Baylor can probably afford to lose the, their away game at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Kansas. And they can split, those, split their meetings. Um, and still both get one seeds and still both probably get the one and two seed overall in the tournament. Uh, as for Baylor, I think Baylor's, you know, they got out um, some wins, you know, they, they'll, they'll struggle in the first half and then just come on in the second half. And that's pretty much been the story for them throughout the, the first half of uh, big 12 play is just kind of getting through that first half and then, punching the other team in the stomach in the second half. Jared Butler has been fantastic this year. And Freddie Gillespie, I'm almost ready to say, might be the most unassuming and underappreciated big man in college basketball. I think that's fair. Um, He doesn't score a lot of points, so he's not going to get a lot of the Philip Petrusev, Vernon Carey, Luka Garza love. But uh, what he does outside of scoring is almost is probably the most important asset to Baylor of any player on that team. So if I were to choose um, Kansas, probably for me right now would be the talent wise, the favorite to win the national championship. Um, and when we get later into the show, I, I'll, I'll let you know who my actual uh, pick to win the national championship is. Um, we'll see. Yeah. What if it, instead of bold predictions at the end of this episode, we do our final four picks currently and a national championship pick does that sound good yeah that sounds good all right well uh, both contenders I, I think it'll be interesting to see who gets if those two were to be both on the one line who gets the higher seed just from a region standpoint because kansas fans will travel better than baylor fans will and so i think it might be more important for baylor to finish with a higher overall seed than kansas just for that potential advantage there on the one line the same dilemma is kind of going on with Gonzaga and San Diego State, who are the two other one seeds, uh, according to Bracket Matrix right now. Um, Gonzaga, we all know the story with them. Uh, they're a legit contender. There are some questions about their defense, which I'll let you touch on in a little bit, Connor. Uh, but offense, offensively, they're as good as anybody in the country, as good as anybody in the country has been for a while, I think. Um, going back to the last couple of years, their efficiency numbers are just off the charts. Uh, but San Diego State, sitting here undefeated in early February on that one line. But there are still a lot of questions about how good they actually are. And if they are a national championship contender, or even if they're, if they're even a final four contender, 
what do you think about the San Diego State team? What's their ceiling? Are they a contender or are they more of a pretender? I, I, I think if they continue to play the way they're playing now, um, by being incredibly grounded on defense and having some solid offensive play, which starts with Malachi Flynn, they could contend. I'm not so much. Not, I'm not so sure about national championship, but they could definitely contend for a Final Four appearance. Um, my issue with them, and it has nothing to do with the caliber of teams that they've played. Um, but it does have to do a lot with when their offense isn't really clicking. Um, mm-hmm. They've let teams kind of hang around a little bit too long, uh, especially in Mountain West play. They, they let San Jose State hang around too long. They didn't get to 60 in that one. They let Fresno State hang around a little bit too long. They barely scored 60 in that one. Um, so, and then UNLV... Uh, at UNLV, they they pulled out uh, a four point win, which is not something that you would expect from a, a national championship contender. Um, with that said, I think that while they have to win out to get a one seed, um, probably because I you know looking at their schedule, unless they lose in the championship game of the Mountain West, none of their losses are going to be fantastic. They could probably afford to lose out and get a one or lose a game and get a one seed, but I think in order to get the one seed in the West, they'll have to win win out because a two loss Gonzaga with losses to Michigan and either BYU at BYU or this upcoming week at St. Mary's uh, probably gets the one seed in the West over a one loss San Diego State with a with a loss to pretty much anyone outside of maybe Utah State in the in the championship game of the Mountain West tournament. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Before we go on to Gonzaga, I want to throw something by you for San Diego State because I think the Aztecs remind me at least a little bit of Texas Tech a year ago. They're a team that's excellent defensively, though maybe not as good as Texas Tech was a year ago, but kind of up in that stratosphere, led by one star who kind of does everything for them. Last year for Texas Tech, it was Jarrett Culver. This year, San Diego State's Malachi Flynn. And a bunch of, I'll call them role players, but experienced guys who really excel in their roles and fit extremely well together. And, and we saw Texas Tech come within you know a couple seconds of winning the championship last year. Um, I like what the San Diego State team can do. I, we just haven't seen them prove it on a nightly basis like some of the other power conference teams have had to do or as they would in power conference. What do you think about that potential comparison? Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. The one thing I will say about uh, San Diego State that's a little bit different than Texas Tech is they don't have the same strength on the interior that Texas Tech did. Um, Without Nathan Mensa, who was their leader in rebounds at 6.87 rebounds a game, had nearly two blocks a game, was playing 20 minutes a game, pretty solid, could score at above 60% clip uh, from the floor. Without him in the mix, um, I don't think that they can compete once they get into the Sweet 16 uh, Elite Eight kind of uh, situation where they're going to be facing a team like Kentucky or Iowa that has those solid interior players that they can rely on. And if it comes down to it, um, they're going to have to win a lot of their games on the perimeter. 
And while I do think that Malachi Flynn is fantastic, a lot of these other national championship contenders not only have great perimeter players, but great defensive guards. And Mm -hmm. so I think that they can be a Final Four team, but eventually they're going to run into someone that's going to have a big that unless they have Nathan Mensah out there is just going to kind of control the game. And I, and I, while their defense has been good enough to kind of prevent some of that early on uh, Mm -hmm. it, well, especially in mountain West play. um, I think once you get, once you face someone like a, a Yudoka Azabuki or even an Obi Toppin, it'll, it might fall apart. I'm not sure. So, yeah. Uh, and, and that's fair. Um, Gonzaga is certainly one of those teams with the size inside. Maybe not the guard play, uh, consistent guard play that we usually see from a team on the one line. But again, they're, with how good their offense is, I think the question marks with them come with the fact that they're Gonzaga and there are people who will still knock them for playing in the WCC and that they don't play anybody, which I at this point it is ridiculous if you still think that. You just haven't been paying attention to the basketball for the past 20 years at the same time uh, only made one final four haven't won a national championship um is this the year that they potentially cut down the nets man if you were to ask me i'll give you the floor if you were to ask me a month ago i would have said yes um and if you're if you were to ask me in a month and we've seen six, seven consecutive games of a healthy Killian Tilly. And we've seen Ryan Woolridge and Admon Gilder and Joel Ayai kind of adjust themselves and compete with quick athletic guards like they did against Santa Clara or really lengthy perimeter players like they had to compete with against when they played San Francisco. I might be saying yes again. Um, Right now, the two things it really hinges on is can Killian Tilly stay healthy and he might not play, or at least I haven't seen whether or not he's definitively playing against St. Mary's and Moraga this week. Um, but if they don't have Killian Tilly, I, I think you can throw all national championship uh, aspirations out the window. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. an easy one. Uh, the tougher question is, is will those guards be able to compete with the athleticism and length that you're going to see in the elite eight and final four, because this might be, I don't want to say the least athletic because it's definitely not the least athletic, but so far their closest games have been against teams that have had that athleticism and length on the perimeter. Um, And then you can get them into a situation like they had against Texas tech last year, where they were just trying to force the ball uh, into the paint too often, uh, Mm -hmm. which kind of became their source of pain against San Francisco where they went, you know, it was what, 12 minutes left in the second half um, before they, they got their first three. So um, yeah, it's, it's really going to depend, I think on the health of Killian Tilly, obviously that's an obvious pick. And then whether or not their guards can adjust uh, to the athleticism, athleticism in the length. And really they struggled a little bit against, against press um, early on this year. So, We'll see. Yeah, I think because of all that, Ayayi is going to be the key for them when it comes to making an NCAA tournament run, aside from Killian Tilly's health, because I think he's the one guard they have who can take over 
who can provide some of that stability, lock somebody down defensively, or give you 20 a, a game for a, a stretch offensively. I think he's going to be the key for them in that uh, coming up here in the NSA tournament. But those are all the one seeds. I think we all know that, that they're contenders, or else it wouldn't be on the one line. Things get maybe a little bit more interesting on the two line bracket matrix as the two seeds right now as Duke, Dayton, Louisville, and West Virginia. So I'll ask you, Connor, of those four, how many do you think are actual national championship contenders? Um, on a good day, three. On a bad day, two. I think Dayton and Louisville are definitely national championship contenders. Um, I I trust them to be able to win six games in a row. Now, whether they do mm-hmm. is a different story, but I think they can. I don't trust Duke to win six games in a row, and that's my biggest issue with them. It's not the talent. It's not... Um, whether I think they can beat the six teams that they'll have in front of them. It's whether they can beat those six teams back to back to back to back to back um, mm-hmm. without losing a game, without dropping, you Putting know, up one of their duds that they've put up several occasions this year, you know, it, it, what eight points in 10 minutes against Boston college while we're recording this. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it that's so on a good day i would say duke just because they have incredible amounts of talent just in their top three players um and when they buy in on defense they are a really solid team uh west virginia i'm a little bit less high on uh i think that they can definitely similar to san diego state i think they can definitely make an elite eight final four run um i just don't know if they they can actually win uh six games in a row so Mm-hmm. But between the of those four, um, West Virginia, I would say, has the least likely shot at winning a national championship. Uh, and I'd probably rank them Louisville 1, Dayton 2, Duke 3, West Virginia 4 of those four teams. I would probably agree with you. Um, West Virginia, I, I think, can make the Final Four, and it wouldn't be necessarily a surprise to anybody. It certainly wouldn't be expected. But I think their defense can make, obviously, frustrate any team and can make it really difficult for, especially the, the better teams that they would play in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, make life extremely hard on them. And if they get the right matchups uh, against some weak guards, maybe like a Gonzaga, um, that they could win just based off their defense uh, or their, their power inside. They need Miles McBride to step up the way he was in January and be that sort of go-to guy on the perimeter for them if they're going to make any sort of a run, though. Um, and I, I don't – I think West Virginia can do that, and they can beat somebody really good, but I don't trust them to do that the four or five times they're going to need to in the NSA tournament to win the national championship. Uh, Duke's the same kind of way. I, I'm with you there uh, just in terms of – I again – no one's going to be surprised if a team as talented as Duke wins the national championship. But no one's also going to be surprised if they put up a dud and end up losing to a 14 or 15 seed in the first round, right? That's just the way their season's gone. I've been really impressed with Louisville. I, I think they're a legitimate national championship contender. I think they've learned how to play offensively. If Jordan Nora isn't contributing 20 to 25 points a game, uh, they've been able to find other options and kind of come into their own. I think they have probably one of the highest floors of any team in the country, and that's something important when it comes to just the the 
kind of grind that the NCAA tournament is without a lot of time to prepare for some teams uh, and just anything that could happen over the course of, of one game. And then Dayton, I actually think Dayton is probably the most potent of this group of teams. Um, I would put Louisville ahead of them in terms of national championship favorite because of that high floor. And I know what I'm getting from them on a single night. Dayton's right there with them in that regard. The one thing that Dayton has as a weakness that Louisville doesn't is they can be exploited inside. They really lack size. And that has been where they've really struggled this year. Uh, We've talked about it before on this podcast, but Obi Toppin is in their best lineups, their biggest guy and will be matched up defensively normally against a, a powerful center that plays in the post. What that does is takes him sort of out of the mix defensively because he is not able to use his length to bother smaller guys on the perimeter. Uh, and normally for as big and strong as he is, isn't able, we saw it in Maui, isn't able to handle the physicality of somebody like Doka Azubuke on the post. At the same time, because he's having to expend so much energy defensively, he's not the same factor when Dayton's on offense. He's not able to not carry them, but contribute the way he normally does on a consistent basis, on a, on a minute-by-minute, stretch-by-stretch basis. Because of that, I think Dayton is vulnerable if they go up against a team like a Kansas or a Duke who has a Doka Azubuke, who has a Vernon Carey, or a Gonzaga, who has a Philip Petrusev inside. Um, that could make things difficult for them. But aside from running in one of those teams, I don't think how you can – there's nothing to not like about Dayton other than that. Yeah, no, and that's that's a very similar reason as to why I put, had Dayton behind Louisville. I think Dayton will definitely have a better shot if I were to say one-on-one, you know, one, one-off game against the one seeds. Um, mm-hmm. But I but I do I do think that – Similar to uh, similar to San Diego State, um, there's going to be a point where they're going to have to stop some sort of elite big man inside. Yeah, um, matchups are going to be very important to them and their potential Final Four NCAA championship run. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be the case for a lot of these teams, but um, teams like Dayton and San Diego State, I think, are more susceptible to be beaten by a certain player or style of play than some of these other teams. Now, if we go down to the three line, uh, this is to me, I think where we get into the iffy area because uh, the three seeds right now, according to the bracket matrix are Seton hall, Florida state, Maryland, and Villanova. And I think at one point this year, Connor, we thought that all four of these teams looked like surefire final four teams, but there's also been a separate point in the same season where we've wondered if any of these four deserved to be ranked. So where would you see Seton Hall, Florida State, Maryland, and Villanova? How many of those teams do you think are legitimate contenders? Legitimate contenders? One or two. Um, I think Seton Hall is the team that I would point to as off the three line, they're a legitimate contender to win it all. And I know they lost against Xavier at home, um, but anytime you're reintroducing uh, a big man or any any player really back into your rotation um, and trying to get him on track, uh, certain things can take a step back. I know Romaro Gill didn't play as well as he has been playing in in the first mm-hmm. two games uh, since Mamu came back, and so 
they're a team that I really want to see how he can integrate himself back into that rotation. And uh, if they can get back to the way they were playing at the beginning of Big East play, they're the team I would point to as the the hottest team, I guess, the, the team that I would mm-hmm. say has the ability to have the hottest hand in March. Florida State would probably be second for me um, simply because they're uh, a team that really makes everyone they play uncomfortable. Um, right. And they're, they're lost to Virginia – uh, notwithstanding, they've pretty much made every team that they've played win or lose uncomfortable. Um, even even Virginia, but Virginia's looked uncomfortable all season. Um, Virginia's comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but you know they've they've kind of struggled over the past past couple of weeks, um, and so we'll see for them moving forward as well. I'd probably put Villanova third, to be honest with you, and not because really? I think that Villanova is a true national championship contender um but it has more to do with the fact that and i really believe this the ability to win away from home is one of the most important aspects of winning a national championship um Mm -hmm. i think something like 33 of the last 40 final four uh teams have had a winning record on on the road in true road games um the last eight national champions have had a winning record in true road games. The only two that didn't were the 2011 UConn Huskies team and the year before that, the 2010 Duke Blue Devils team. But every other team that's won the national championship has had a winning record on the road. And so when you're looking at this Maryland team that's two and four on the road, um, you know, I get that it's tough to play on the road in the Big Ten Conference, uh, but that's and I think that's going to be the theme moving forward for every team in the Big Ten is that even before they got into conference play, the Big Ten as a conference was struggling on the road. And so I don't know, you know, they have some of the best home environments in the country. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know if their struggles on the road have more to do with uh, their home environments or are equally their home and their away environments because even in the non-conference, they they didn't uh, didn't necessarily play well on the road. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I actually would put Maryland second in this group, and I might regret that because I there's the Mark Turgeon factor that's impossible to overlook. I probably won't pick them to go to the Final Four just because of Mark Turgeon. I feel like he'll blow it for them in a close game the way he has every year he's been there. Um, But this Maryland team is extremely talented. And while they have struggled on the road, they do have two conference road wins, which were Northwestern and Indiana. Again, not great. Um, But that's two more than a lot of the other teams in the Big Ten do. And in a non-conference, when they played on a neutral court, um, they didn't look their best the way they do at home. Uh, Because I think at home they look like a, a national championship contender they don't look like that anywhere else but on a neutral court they beat temple beat harvard and beat marquette by 21 so i don't have as big concerns about them going away as i do some of the other teams from the big 10 florida state i would actually put as last in this group i I think seton hall i've gushed about seton hall all season long I think they're a legit Final Four national championship contender uh, as long as Miles Powell stays healthy, as long as Amaro Gale stays healthy. I think they are in that stratosphere. Uh, Maryland is clear on that fringe like Duke is, um, and then I would put Villanova third, 
just because of their shooting. I think they can get exploited inside, but I would put them third. Now I'd actually put Florida State fourth because while I agree with you, their defense makes everybody uncomfortable, and they're, they have the same MO as the last couple teams that have made the second weekend. I don't know if they are as good as their record says they are. They're 19-3. and three. Those losses came to Pitt, Indiana, and then, of course, Virginia. If you look at their wins, they have that really great 13-point road win over Louisville. But outside of that, the best team that they've beaten is probably Florida. Maybe a, a Tennessee team that we now know isn't that good. Maybe the Virginia team they lost to. And then it's you know, Virginia Tech. And with the, with the way they've been struggling of late, um, most of their games have been decided by five points or less the last couple of weeks um, against much lesser competition in the ACC. They haven't shown to me that dominance that we've come to expect from a team that would be ranked number eight in the country or a team that would be a national championship contender. I think they have it in them but we just haven't seen it. And I don't know if we're going to see it. If we do, it's going to be next week at Duke. I would guess would be the time for them to show it because all they have left that could really improve the resume. And you know, they're safely and it's not a resume conversation for, for Florida state, but the only real signature wins they can pick up during the rest of the regular season is at Duke. And then that same Louisville team at home. And if they take care of business the rest of the way, I think it'll quell a lot of my concerns about them. But the way they've been playing, I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped another game or two to one of those lesser teams along the way. Yeah. Uh, and this is the theme, I think, throughout the college basketball. The, there's only one ACC team that I trust to beat bad ACC teams. Yep. <laughs> and that's Louisville. I don't trust yep. Duke to beat bad ACC teams. I don't trust... Florida State to always beat bad ACC teams. Um, and so, yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from having Florida State last. Florida State's one of those. I put them because they make things difficult, um, but they also make things difficult on themselves sometimes. So, yep. uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> it is. A lot of the teams on the four line, I think, are kind of a similar boat. We have Michigan State, Oregon, Butler and Auburn on that four line. And I want to talk about Auburn because that's a team with another lofty record um, that people still have questions about. Do you think they're a contender or pretender? And how would you rank them in this group of number four seeds, according to bracket matrix of Michigan state, Oregon, Butler, uh, and then them. So I will start by saying that I kept Auburn in the back half of the top 10, um, simply because they weren't losing, but they weren't really doing much to tell me that they could win. Um, their their win against – the way they won against Ole Miss on the road, while it did show me their toughness, um, if that and Mississippi State – I mean, those are their two toughest road wins. They, they did handle Kentucky down the stretch um, at home. Yep. yep. However, they are a team that really I just I just don't know how they're going to respond when they're playing Kentucky four games in a row because that's really the way you have to look at it for a team that's in the 
in in that situation or not four games in a row well yeah four games there are four seeds so Mm -hmm. they'll play kentucky a five seed or better presumably four games in a row and i just don't know they haven't shown me anything yet and granted part of that's their schedule um Mm -hmm. for me to say that they can win those games four games in a row and i don't think that they have the schedule really well, right now is their time to show. They're playing Kentucky, then at Arkansas, then LSU, then Alabama. And that's the toughest stretch they have on their schedule. And so if they're going to win four games in a row, it's going to be, and and it happens now, I'd be more willing to say that they're a Final Four contender. I still don't think they're a national championship contender, mm-hmm. but I'd be more willing to say they're a Final Four contender. But if they drop, and this game's at the half, pretty close to Arkansas, um, so we won't know the result before this comes out. Uh, or we will, but we won't know it before we finish. Um, if they drop this one or the game against Alabama or the game against LSU, uh, which are both at home, uh, I'm leaning more towards Sweet 16 Elite 8 kind of ceiling for them. I would agree with that. I think the Kentucky win, I think, proved to a lot of people that they can at least play with this level of competition, uh, which was a big unknown because up until then, they hadn't even played a ranked team yet. So that was a big step for them, and I think validated where they are in a lot of people's rankings, in the AP poll, and where they are from a a bracketology standpoint. That said, I agree with you. I I don't trust them to take their act on the road and play that same way they did against Kentucky at home on a neutral site or on the road where they don't have the crowd sort of backing them and adding to that frenzy that they love to play with. I think they're certainly good enough to beat a potential five seed in the second round and then potentially knock off a one seed, depending on on who that one seed or who comes out of the the top part of that bracket um, in a Sweet 16 matchup. But I don't trust them to make the Final Four. Last year, they got by with uh, Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Chumo Kiki for the first weekend, being incredible and having a team full of knockdown shooters. They don't have that shooting this year. Um, And that's made them a lot more susceptible to teams that are able to slow the pace down, make them play in the half court. They really struggle with that. And then if they're, if they don't have the athleticism advantage, uh, they struggle with that too. If they can't get value and to the rim, they struggle to score. So they're a lot more vulnerable uh, than I think a lot of people may want to say for them because of how good they can be. And, And when things are going, things go really well for them but I don't trust them to have that same kind of momentum, kind of tidal wave type feel for four games, five games, six games in a row, uh, playing away from home. I just don't see that. One team I, I do like out of here, though, um, I, I only think one team from this group is a legitimate national championship contender, and that's Oregon. Oregon's been a little bit iffy here the past couple of weeks, but the way they were playing before and Folly Dante became eligible, I think they're still kind of dealing with some stuff from working him into the rotation and figuring that out the same way uh, Seton Hall is working back in Mamoskilos Vili. But w- with their pieces and with Peyton Pritchard, when they play their best, their ceiling is just as high as anybody's. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, if this final month and a half they kind of figured it out and caught fire again and end up winning the national championship in Atlanta. I don't trust Michigan State outside of Cassius Winston. I think eventually, you know, they may win a game or two, uh, pull an upset or two later on in the tournament. But eventually, like last year, the lack of offensive firepower outside of Winston is going to come back to bite them. And Butler, 
I think is a very good team, but I think we're seeing them kind of come back to the pack a little bit. Uh, so of this group, I think Oregon is the only championship contender. What do you think about, about them, Michigan State, and Butler? Um, I, I would agree, not necessarily from the way they've been playing standpoint, because if you've, if you've watched Oregon over the last couple of weeks, um, to anyone listening, they, they've looked iffy. They struggled with Cal. They lost to Stanford now, granted, both on the road. Um, they struggled to put away USC. They lost to Washington State. The uh, Infale Dante kind of experiment isn't going as everyone had, would have hoped. Um, hopefully, yep. he can get a little bit more into midseason shape by the time March rolls around, which would be in Mar- March would be essentially his midseason at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And at that, and they have the talent to compete for a national championship to win, to win six games in a row. I agree with you on Michigan State. Uh, even if they get 20 points a game out of Winston and 17 points a game out of Tillman, I just don't, there's still not enough behind them to really add the additional 40 points they'll probably need to win at least one of those games. Someone's going to eventually score 70 or 75 against them, and yeah. I don't know where they get that extra from. Right. So... And, and and Butler, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. They they just, I know we were joking around preseason with Lucas that Butler was the eighth place team in in oh, the uh, in the conference, and they're a little bit better than that. But um, I think they're much better than that. But I also don't think that they're the team they were at the start of January when they were a top five team. I think they're somewhere in the middle. Yeah, probably a top twenty, maybe top twenty five team. Um, but their defense has gone from great to just really good. Yeah. And their offense outside of Kamar Baldwin isn't enough to keep them playing at that level to make up for that dip in their defense. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so that'll be, it'll be an interesting one um, for Butler. I think it will be the most interesting team. Cause I, they're the team that I don't really know what they're going to give us in March. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of know what you're going to get from Auburn. I kind of know what you're going to get from Michigan state. Oregon is either going to be really good or fantastic somewhere in that range. Uh, mm. but, but Butler is the team that, you know, they're, they could be, they could be a, a final four contender, uh, get to yeah. the elite, elite eight, or they could lose in the second round. And so it's the one really thing, good. the one thing that Michigan state, Oregon and Butler have that Auburn don't Auburn doesn't, is that one guy who late in the game can win a game for you. And it's proven that. With Cassius Winston at Michigan State, Peyton Pritchard at Oregon, Kamar Baldwin at Butler, if they get in one of those situations where they don't play as well, they have a guy who can bail them out. And I, I think that could be the thing that saves Butler in some of those games where maybe they don't play as well if they were to make a long run. Yeah, no, and that was the question in 2017 with, with Gonzaga was that they were playing such a such a such an even um, offensive attack for the first two months um, before Nigel Williams Goss really kind of just took over as that guy. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if it wasn't for, for Williams Goss, uh, some of those games probably would have been lost in, in the NCAA tournament. So I can see where that, that comes from with, with, with Auburn. Again, I would probably rank them Oregon one, Butler two, Michigan state three, Auburn four. Um, Flipping back and forth on Michigan State Auburn just because I really don't trust Michigan State to win yeah. four games, five games in a row. So yeah, 
I would, I would probably flip them and have Oregon one, Butler two, Auburn three, Michigan State four. Yeah. We'll, we'll touch on the fives now real quick, kind of wrap up these uh, contender, pretender series. I think the five is all sort of on that fringe. Um, there's Creighton, who's a five, who's really good, but I think we'd be surprised if they made the final four. I was the same way, although Luca Garza could carry them. You never know. LSU is an interesting case, and then there's Kentucky is an interesting case. So I, I want to focus on those two to start off with, Connor. Okay. Who's the better team? Who do you trust more with LSU and Kentucky? Those are two different questions <laughs> with, with two different answers. Kentucky's the better team, I think. Uh, and say, say what you want about Skylar Mays and Javante Smart um, and, and how consistent Emmett Williams has been. Kentucky, with Nick Richards, Ashton Hagens, quickly, they're a better team. They are not the team I trust more. Yep. I kind of know at this point, um, you know, LSU's kind of gotten all their bad losses out of their system, uh, which none of their losses are now looking all that bad. Um the Utah State one's looking worse, but that was the one that they were expected to be the better of the four losses. But mm-hmm. USC's probably a tournament team. Uh, VCU's right on the edge. They lost that one on the road. Um, ETSU looks like it's going to win its conference and be in the NCAA tournament. So none of their losses are bad. And then you look down once they got into SEC play, and they've just been a force. And they haven't played Kentucky yet. Um, mm-hmm. So... You only have to once. Yeah. Well, they only have to play Kentucky once and Auburn once. Um, and then I think they only have one game against Arkansas remaining. So Their schedule sets up really well for them to go back-to-back SEC regular season champs. Right. Uh, the only thing I will say is that they have one, two, three, four, five, six of their last nine games, ten games, are on the road. Um, they have a road game against Auburn, a road game against Alabama, Road against mm-hmm. Florida, road against Arkansas. So, and then the home game against Kentucky. So, while it does set up really well because they didn't have to play these top teams multiple times, um, there are quite a few of those games where they're going to be in a very hostile environment against a team that's might not be great, but is very good. Um, but I trust them. I trust them more to get out of the second round into the Sweet 16 than I trust Kentucky. But I think Kentucky, of those two, is the only one that I could see making the Final Four. Um, so it's just kind of like a, you asked me two questions, I gave you two answers Yes. <laughs> situation. <laughs> I think of this group, I actually think LSU is the only one I can see even making the Final Four. I don't think any of them are, are championship contenders. But LSU is the only one I think I could see putting together four straight wins against the teams they're going to need to beat to make the Final Four. Uh, Creighton, really good offensively improved defensively um but i don't think is quite there yet i think they're probably a sweet 16 team at most i was the same kind of way and we talked about this with maryland i don't trust them away from home and while luca garza is certainly good enough to win them a game or two he's also a guy with his style of play you put a double team on him or have a, a good big guy as we saw maryland do with stick smith and he's not as impactful i I think he's up there for national player of the year. I think him and Obi Toppin and Miles Powell, uh, Peyton Pritchard very clearly of the top four. And I think you could ar- certainly argue Garza's in, at the front of that race right now. 
Um, but I don't know if he has enough around him, and I don't know if he has the variety in his game right now to, to carry them if a team was able to man up with him in the post. Kentucky, I don't trust their shooting. I don't trust the consistent offense from their guards to win four games in a row. Uh, it just takes one game for Nick Richards to get in foul trouble, and everything's going to fall apart for them. LSU, I think, is the most versatile. Uh, they have a couple offensive players who can take over the scoring load in stretches. They're improving defensively. Uh, the big weakness for them early on in the season was their lack of a true point guard. And we saw that against VCU, against VCU's press. We saw it against Utah State when they blew that 17-point lead in the second half, uh, both due to turnovers, which has flared up for them at times this year. Um, just a lack of point guard. They kept turning the ball over and and cost themselves those games. They figured that out a little bit more now. Um, if things sit up well for them with their athleticism, size, and just their versatility, I could potentially see them making a run from a five seed. I, I don't think it's likely, but of this group, I think they are probably the best bet. Yeah. I don't think Iowa's success in the tournament is going to be about Garza because Garza is going to give you the numbers that Garza always gives you. For me, the key for Iowa to get on a big run in the tournament is whether Garza can get the ball out to CJ Frederick and have him hit threes as consistently as he's done for most games this season. Because if if you have that inside-outside punch it becomes a little bit more dynamic. They can't double Garza, I don't think, quite as much as they could if he's not hitting. No one else on that team, they can hit threes. You know, Ice Camp can hit threes, but they're not as consistent. And so you really need Frederick to hit two to three minimum threes a game for them to make a deep run. Um, I'm just not sure he can do it six games in a row. Yeah. So. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I, I think after that, it's very hit or miss in terms of the teams that are maybe contenders. But give me one dark horse outside those top five seeds currently in Bracket Matrix that you could foresee making the Final Four, if not potentially winning the whole thing the same way we've seen uh, UConn do in 2011 and 2014. The list is short. The list is short. <laughs> Um, there are three names, yeah, three, three schools that really jump out to me as having that potential. Um, mm-hmm. I think the one that jumps out to me um, quite obviously is on the next seed line on Bracket Matrix, which is Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're a tough team. Uh, they take after their head coach really well in that department. They just they, they can win tough games. They've shown the ability to beat really good teams they're in the same boat as some of the other teams on this list where they can win really tough games and then lose really easy games but you know they they kind of they i mean they didn't play well at all in allen Fieldhouse, um but they lost a close one to to northern iowa uh at arizona ucla has been playing better i don't i don't really fault them for that loss but mckinley wright um is because of the other guards in his conference kind of not getting the level of publicity that he otherwise would have. And Tyler Bay um, is the same thing. He's he's a really solid kind of 
guard forward combo on the wing um, can play some inside as well uh, block shots get steals their best defensive player um, so that's one name that jumps out to me uh, another name that jumps out to me or two names that jump out to me are both right now on the nine line uh, in, on bracket matrix one is texas tech yep um, i think just because of the way they play defense um, and and the not necessarily the the depth of talent, but the talent they have on their roster and the fact that uh, Beard has been there before. Really, I think they're a team that could be a dark horse. And the only other team outside of those top five that I'm saying, and, and I don't think they're a national title contender, don't get me wrong. Um, I'd get endless hate from Gonzaga fans if I said that. But that could win and su- surprise and win three or four games in a row is BYU with everyone healthy because they're one of the best ISO offenses in the country, one of the best three-point offenses in the country. They play relatively solid defense. Uh, It's not great. It's not terrible. Um, They're top 20 on Ken Palm. They have Childs back, and so once he's fully in the flow, they can do some really dangerous things. They're a team that I think not a lot of people are giving credit for because of their seven on the loss column. But right now, when they're at full force and you've got, you know, Haas and Toulson and Childs all playing in March, I think that they could win. They could win four games in a row. I don't think they can win in the final four, probably. But I think they have the ability to to catch a team that's either looking ahead or a team that just isn't expecting to play against that tough an opponent. Their issue is they make some of the worst passes in college basketball, and so turnovers yeah. are going to be their enemy. But um, they have the length to corral them. So I've seen some really bad passes that led to shots just because of their size. But uh, they're, they're one team that doesn't necessarily have the size among their top players to compete, but Colby Lee at least is the, a body that can contend with some of these top bigs. And so when you're looking at a team that can upset a one seed in the second round, um, either Texas Tech or BYU is going to be that kind of we're rooting for the eight seed because we don't want to face that nine seed. I like that. I'll, I'll give you two teams. Uh, one, not necessarily to win the championship, but make the final four, I think could be VCU, who right now is a first four team. It'll be another first four to final four for VCU. But they are an extremely experienced team. Um, they returned pretty much everybody from last year's team that ran away with the A-10. Ended up on that 8-9 line because uh, of an injury to Marcus Evans, their point guard, and that really kind of sunk their season at the end of last year. But they have everybody back, including Evans. They've been sort of inconsistent in A-10 play, but their defense is still excellent. Uh, that Havoc system was brought back by Mike Rhodes, their head coach. Um, they force a lot of steals. Like with Wether, with Wether, Wow. With West Virginia, they make things difficult for you. And that style of defense, nobody wants to play against. And if they sort of figure out their offense here in the next month and a half, and more importantly, are able to hit perimeter shots in the NCAA tournament, they're going to be one of those teams that's really, really tough to beat and could be a double-digit seed we see playing on the second weekend and potentially beyond. But the one other team that I think would be a super – dark horse championship contender would be Michigan. And the way they're playing now is certainly not the case. 
but the, they've struggled in Big Ten play because Isaiah Livers has been hurt. And Isaiah Livers is, I think, the most important player because he gives them – he's their only real reliable wing scorer. Uh, he's a matchup problem with his athleticism, uh, his strength at 6'7", and his shooting ability. Um, with him, I think their pieces all fit together. They're not as deep as they'd like to be, but I go back to the way they played in November and December on neutral courts, which is the way the NSA tournament is played, in case you didn't know. They were the best team in the country, and they were still trying to figure out their system under Juwan Howard, but they were able to play with anybody. And as long as they're healthy, I think that they have the potential to get back to playing at that level again when you're not dealing with the Big Ten home and away swings. And I will – the one thing I will – another thing I will say about Michigan, though, they remind me a little bit of the 2011 UConn team. That UConn team that won the championship with Kemba Walker went through the non-conference, looked really good, won the Mal Invitational, went in to Big East play, and went 500. They were 9-9 in the Big East. And that Big East – that year the Big East sent a record 11 teams to the NCAA tournament. It was a really tough year for the Big East. But then they got in the tournament play again on neutral courts, and they were able to get back to playing at a really high level. Kemba certainly had a lot to do with that, obviously. Got back to playing at that high level, went on to win that national championship in a Cinderella way um, in a wide-open field, the same way we think this year's NCAA tournament field is going to be really wide open. This Michigan team also won the most stacked preseason tournament, or the preseason tournament we thought was going to be the most stacked in the battle for Atlantis. Got into Big Ten play, a Big Ten conference that is projected to get 11 or even 12 teams in the tournament this year, surpassing that Big East in 2011. Um, and I th- there's the potential once they get back into tournament play, neutral sites, that they could sort of pick back up again as long as they're healthy. The only thing with this Michigan team is that I don't think they have that Kemba Walker, right? I don't think Livers is that guy. Xavier Simpson can take over a game, but in a different facet. Um, but to me, if I were to see one of these teams below the, those five win the championship in Atlanta, um, I, I think Michigan is the only one that has the actual potential and ability to do so, so long as they're healthy. Yeah. I, and there's yeah, my I mean, dissertation on this. <laughs> yeah. And Michigan, I think is, is definitely in the same boat as Gonzaga, as you said, with just health. Yeah. If they can, if they can get into March healthy, they'll be a dangerous team to play. But if you know they're missing one or two key pieces, it, it it'll it could crumble. So yep. um, I like I like that Michigan pick. I, I was thinking about them. Um, I just don't have as high an expectation of them being fully healthy as I do yeah. of Gonzaga. But. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the fun stuff. Let's do it. Final four. Final four picks. Okay. I know a lot of this is going to change depending upon brackets and regions and who gets put where with what matchups. But right now, with any of any, without any of that in front of us, give me your final four. Who makes the championship game? Who wins the championship? So I'm going to start off. I think Kansas and Baylor are both set up to make the final four. Um, I know matchups play into this, but they're the two teams that I'm not so worried about matchups as I am almost every other team in the country. Um, I think they can play well against opponents of any sort of play style, and and they've shown it. Um, so I, I'll have those two in my final four. 
I have to assume that San Diego State wins out, which means I have to assume that they get the one seed in the West, which means I have to assume that Gonzaga is in the East. Therefore, I don't have San Diego State or Gonzaga in my Final Four at this point because while I think Gonzaga has the talent to do it, there's just too many variables for me playing into this. I think they're an Elite Eight team. I don't think they're a Final Four team. I'm going to go with Seton Hall as another Final Four team. Um, I trust them to get everyone into that rotation. I trust Miles Powell to play like the National Player of the Year moving forward. Um, You've been hanging out with me too long. And, and Romaro Gill to kind of come back to life. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think of those teams, they're the team that I'm most excited about mm-hmm. uh, moving forward, which is why I'm going to put them as my third team in the Final Four. My fourth team in the Final Four is tough because I was going back and forth um, do I think Luka Garza and CJ Frederick can, can carry Iowa to the Final Four? Um, do I think that you know Florida State gives people enough trouble, uh, whatnot? If Duke is not in the region, if Duke is in the East region and Seton Hall is not, I think Duke makes the Final Four. Um, I know okay. they struggle against some pretty bad teams, but they also have the talent at all spots on the floor to really, uh, and the depth to take a team down to the wire um, and not have as many issues with kind of running out of players. Uh, you know, they might not have a Vernon Carey in there for 40 minutes, but they'll have a player that is a final final four rotational piece caliber player in there for 40 minutes. So um, I think that Kansas and Baylor are like, they're going to be pretty much penned in for me as final four teams until they prove me otherwise. And there's going to be a rotating door um, Mm -hmm. of the other two. If Gonzaga gets the one seed in the West because San Diego state drops a game that changes things. I'd probably pick Gonzaga to go to the final four. um, And I'd probably still stick with Seton hall. So take that as you will. Who's winning the whole thing. (sighs) Jeez. Um, (laughs) Kansas on the spot. Kansas, I mean, Baylor's no fun. Baylor's played really well. Well, and that's the thing is that is it's no fun. But uh, when there's no, I mean, no, I it certainly wouldn't no be a surprise. Elite teams in college basketball, you kind of have to go with the team that has a a coach that's been there before, yep. b a team that's played consistent the entire season, um, and Kansas has three losses, but they've played consistent they beat really good teams they don't have any terrible losses um and you have to you you have to go with the team that has the most talent and kansas is that kind of blend of all three and so you know they 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 did lose to baylor they did lose to villanova um they did lose to duke but all three of those teams are teams that we're looking at now going they could also be there so Mm -hmm. uh you know, would I be surprised if Gonzaga won this year? No. Would I be surprised if Baylor won this year? No. But at this point, I can't, I can't really pick against Kansas. I think that's fair. Uh, I'm going to respond by having neither Kansas or Baylor in my Final Four. <laughs> um, I'm going with Dayton, okay. Louisville, Seton Hall, and Oregon. Okay. And I think Oregon wins the national championship. Still. Still, I am counting on them figuring this out 
over the next month and a half, which I think they will. Um, I think they've been too good prior to that not to be. And this may be a situation where I keep expecting them to turn into something that they're not. But from a talent standpoint, I think they are as good or if not better than anybody else in the country. And they have one of those four guys in Peyton Pritchard who can take over a game and win you a game by himself late. Um, Miles Powell's one of those guys, which is why I think Seton Hall's in the Final Four as well. Um, I think Dayton avoids a big man in in their region and makes it. Um, but Oregon, again, when all their pieces work together and they're playing their best, is the best team in the country. At some point over the next month and a half, they're going to get it figured out. I have to believe that. And if they do, I think they win. And I think it's pretty convincing their run. I'm not saying they're not going to have any close games. Um, obviously, if we're having this conversation again in February and they're still uh, playing nail biters against Washington and losing to Washington State, we'll have a we'll have a conversation then. But right now, I, I think with their potential, what they've shown, and I think what they can be here once things ramp up later in February, I would pick them to win the national championship right now. That's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, my my issue with Oregon really is is the if you have a big man, not necessarily on the San Diego State side where it's like they can't really stop them, but right. Oregon stops big men by fouling them. And yep. uh, if you have them go against a Kansas, if they happen to be in the same region or get both get to the Final Four, um, while I don't think Kansas wants – Azabuki to be fouled a lot. Uh, I don't necessarily think that they would be completely against forcing Azabuki to get the ball every time down the floor. Um, so, <laughs> no. My dream, though, is to see Gonzaga, San Diego State, and Oregon all in the West region and all playing in LA on the second weekend. I don't care who the fourth team would be. I want to see that and just put them all in fun. and see who comes out. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, who would be the next one if you're looking at it? It'd be, and I think that's a very real pot. If if San Diego State loses, I think that is probably what happens. It's Gonzaga one, San Diego State two, Oregon three or four. Um, you know what? Just for fun, we'll say Oregon figure. We'll say San Diego State loses one game, Gonzaga gets the one, San Diego State gets the two, um, Oregon figures things out, rises to a three, and Kentucky wins the SEC tournament and gets the four. Okay. No, so that, that way you have all the West Coast teams there, and you get. Big Blue Nation traveling out to LA. That would be that. Honestly, that would be a fantastic um, kind of pod of teams. Because, that would so, give you some atmosphere. Oh, it would give you a ton of atmosphere. It would. It it probably if that was if those three teams made it to the Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight, that would probably be like the destination. Hmm. Oh, um, that'd be the ticket. Sweet Sixteen location because it's in LA, and you've got team like three fan bases four fan bases if it's kentucky showing up in force mm-hmm. um for some high quality basketball so um but right now with with the mountain west which say what you want about the wcc um the bottom of the wcc might not be as good as the bottom of the mountain west but i think gonzaga faces a couple more tournament quality matchups than than san diego state so i have to assume san diego state wins out um but like like i said last week they could easily lose to unlv uh in the tournament 
with UNLV playing in their home arena. So, yeah. Well, maybe San Diego State gets the one and Gonzaga gets the two. Either well, either way, as long as they're both in the West, it would be a lot of fun. If if Tilly doesn't play his usual uh, allotment of time against St. Mary's and Moraga, that could very easily be the case. Because yeah. um, I think, you know, if, if Gonzaga loses one more and, and you see a Louisville take, or a Duke, I guess, take control of the ACC, um, or even Seton Hall win out um, after this loss, then, then Gonzaga's easily. I, I, I think one loss keeps Gonzaga on the one line, but uh, if one of those teams kind of takes off and Gonzaga has two losses, it, it, it will be a an interesting decision, to say the least. It will. And it's one of the reasons why these games in February carry a lot of extra importance. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. We'll be here next week to break it all down for you, talk again about some of the tighter conference races. So for my co-host, Connor Hope, I'm Brian Ralph. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll talk to you again next time. 